0: I want to go with you, Jesus. Hey, everyone. It's good to see you all today. Thank you for coming. We're glad you're here. I'd like to welcome all of our campuses uh, to our final message in this wonderful series. If you're catching this uh, at a campus, uh, you'll be seeing the video here live, but many of you catch it on our uh, online or our podcast. And it's amazing how many people actually watch that around the world. So uh, catch up on that. And on that note, uh, I've got to tell you, this is one of the best series I've ever heard on Psalm 23. Pastor Dan and Pastor John in our previous messages have just opened my eyes to Psalm 23 in a way I've never known. If you haven't heard any of those other messages, please go back to our website and download one of these podcasts. Also, next week, as they mentioned, is the selfie series. How many of you ever taken a selfie? How many of you uh, admit to taking this picture? No, I'm kidding. Uh, You know, selfies are one of those interesting things. We're going to do something special in the area of connections and discipleship with this four-week series. We're going to create some uh, small group message follow-up groups that will meet during the week after the message has been shared on a weekend and take it deeper. It'll give you a chance to really put application to a message in a new way. It will also give you a chance to experience Uh, new relationships in the church. All of our campuses will have a general group here at Lone Tree. We have a couple special focus groups. We've got one for singles. How many over 50? Raise your hand. Life Plus, go online, sign up, everybody. We've got a special Life Plus group, and uh, we have a family group, uh, those with children. So please take a moment uh, today and get online so we can get that all organized before the series starts. We're going to do something very different Uh, If you grew up in the church, you probably did this a lot, so we're going to go a little old school here, all right? And out of respect for this amazing passage of Scripture, I'm going to ask you all to stand at all of our campuses here at Lone Tree. Could you all stand? And in a moment, I want you to join with me in reading this Psalm 23. Now, it is in a King James or a New King James Version. How many memorized this growing up, all right? I'm going to dare you close your eyes and see if you can remember it. If not, read along with me as we read this psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's just praise the Lord for that. You may be seated. Thank you so much. You did a fantastic job. It was just great hearing you just get behind that and speak that as well. Uh, In this last verse of this great psalm, I'm going to give you a simple truth that is so powerful that you're going to be amazed how simple it is, but it's really important, all right? The first words of this psalm and the last words of this psalm simply state this, the Lord is my shepherd and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, you know what, I was looking at this passage and the whole experience of David and I began to realize something. Everything in between, the Lord is my shepherd, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, is life. And David defined that in this uh, p- a psalm that he shared. He talked about green pastures, good times. He talked about still waters. He talked about restoration, paths of righteousness, evil, valleys, death, enemies, and overflow. How many have ever experienced some of those things in your life? But if you start with the idea that if the Lord is your shepherd, there's two things that's going to happen in your life. He will be with you through your life, and he will lead you to eternal life. And if you just don't get anything out of this but that, you're on your way to understanding Psalm 23. So let's look at this last verse, and I'm reading it in the New Living Translation. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So on your notes, I've placed four things to note in this verse. Number one, God pursues me. I like that idea. God chases after me. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Your view of God is going to be determined on how you picture this pursuit. All right? There's two ways to look at pursuit. All right? The first one is, I don't want to get caught. The second one is, I want to get caught. All right, let me give you a few examples. When you chase a, a child to just give them a lot of hugs and love and tickles, a kid wants to be caught. Now, he's going to put up a chase, but eventually he's wanting to be caught. But the other thing is, chase a kid to what? Give them discipline? They're running for dear life. They're hiding. All right, another example. Your first romantic crush for someone. You remember pursuing someone that way? You just couldn't help thinking about them and you'd probably around that age where you pull pigtails and write dumb notes and slug them in the arm you know that early kind of flirting stage all right so the first romantic crush or someone you want to get caught and then there's the one you don't want to get caught a stalker (laughs) correct how about a police car that is after you when you have an emergency and you're heading to the hospital or if you're about to be arrested. You don't want to be caught. Now, when I met Brenda, she pursued me. I want to make that clear. I couldn't get rid of her, so I just married her. Truth is, I wanted to get caught. And we had this early romantic love thing, and we pursued each other, and it became obviously marriage, and now 41 years of being in love most of the time. So here's the point. If the chase is about love, it makes a big difference because I want to be caught. Psalms 23, it's an interesting thing. I I, I just, I'll tell you, I have loved this series, and I've loved what Pastor Dan and Pastor John has shared, and each week I've been thinking through this, and I hope you take these notes home and take them beyond this weekend service and think more about them. But I saw something I've never seen. Psalm 23 talks about at the beginning of that passage, us following him. It says he leads. And then the next portion of that verse says, then he walks beside us. He defines you are with me. And then it concludes with him following us. He's pursuing us. And I love that. And I started seeing what God was doing. He was leading in the beginning, setting the pace, showing me the way. And then he was walking beside me, establishing what a relationship would look like with Jesus. And it finished with him following us behind, all right, and giving me some freedom, but within safety of his eyesight. I used to work with youth, and and we would do these uh, youth camps, and one of the big features was going up the mountain uh, on a midnight hike. It was never at midnight. Most of us were ready for bed about 10, so we called it that because the kids always thought it was cool, but we lied. It was never a midnight hike. So we would go up the mountain, and I always uh, led it. I knew the way. I knew the path. But you'd always have one or two kids that were just so rambunctious, and they wanted to get ahead of you. And, and, and they didn't know where they were going. They could have dropped off the mountain. So I had to kept saying, hey, y'all come on back here. Come on back here. But when you know where you're going, when it's established that God has given you freedom, He's behind you. He's encouraging you to experience a little bit of life, but in the safety of His hands. So the second thing I want to tell you is that, okay, first, God pursues you. Second, God pursues me with goodness and love. Now, this is the sticking point of this whole psalm, the goodness and love point. Because I know in every church and in every mind, people wrestling with the idea, if God's love is so good, then why? You put the underline there. It's the big issue with the verse. It's the big issue with all of our belief in God. Conflict arises from a definition that we may have or an understanding of God's goodness and love. So what happens in our life? You define God's goodness this way. If I experience what I believe to be good things, God is good. When I experience bad thing, God is not good. And because bad things happen in our life or things that we're not really excited about are not necessarily good things, we create a default way of thinking about God, that God really can't be that good, that God really can't be that great. And that default thought begins to run the way that you perceive God. So as these bad things or difficult things happening the default thought is along these lines. Man, I'm doing something wrong. I'm messing up some way. God is judging me. I've sinned and this is what I deserve. Really, God can't love me. I can't love myself. Those are default thoughts that we have in reference to God's goodness and love. So our response to those thoughts are very simple. We run and hide. We get angry. We try harder to please God, or we build greater doubt that God can do anything in my life. I think about church. People kind of have a default thought about church. You know, don't let this gray, balding head fool you. I'm not as young as I look. I've been around a good while, and I've been in church since I was three years old. So I've been around church and church people a lot of my life. But I've learned this about church people. Everyone here today has a reason you're here, all right? And you don't want everybody to know that reason because sometimes in the back you're running thinking that's not the best reason to be here. But it's a great example of that default thought because when you talk about church, all right, you look at this. Why am I here today? Am I here to appease God? I- I- am I afraid that if I don't come to church, my car's going to break down on my way to target I've heard people say things like that I don't want the judgment or damnation of God I better go to church the other end of it I want to get god credits if I go to church god is going to be so happy with me that tomorrow I'm going to get the best parking spot in the parking lot at the store hopefully god's going to be pleased if I show up to church sure all the pastors and ministry workers are pleased but what about god Here's the thing, and I really want you to get this. Everybody comes to a church service with this idea and a motivation of some kind. And I've come across this for many years, but I want to give a statement here. We want to be moved. We come to church to feel something, but not moved enough to change something. Matter of fact, I came across an interesting statistic the other day. Uh, They did an interview with church people and they asked them, Have you been changed? Are you growing in your relationship with God? Out of This survey, 55% of the church people said, yes, we are, but they dug a little deeper and they asked other questions and they found out that of those 55% that said they are growing in God, 3%, only three said, I've changed the way I think about God in some way or I've changed the way I act in my life. So the reality is we really struggle with that integrity of what it means to be changed by God. So the Lord says in Scripture that He could transform us. He could give us a renewed default way of thinking. So no matter what, I want you to know this is God's truth. He is good, and His love is unfailing, and He is pursuing you with that kind of love. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't earn His salvation. All right? You didn't do something to gain that. It was his love that preceded that. That is so amazing. I think about this. The worst thing I could ever do in this world, the worst action, the worst thought, God already had me covered. And there are people that come to church thinking, God can't love me because I did a horrible thing here. God can't love me because I think these rotten, evil thoughts. God can't love me. God already knew you'd be thinking those. And while you were a sinner, he said, I got you covered. Our sin sometimes we think is so big and so bad, but God gave his biggest and his best to show his goodness and love. Now, have you you heard the phrase, you don't know how good you got it? (laughs) Can I try that again? (laughs) You don't know how good you got it. Something like that. Any hear a phrase like that? All right, good. Close enough. Well, uh, we were talking as a teaching team and uh, had this great discussion about uh, this this ability to really see how good you had it. And we were talking about marriage, okay? Uh, I know many of you here are married, and uh, I, I don't know how many years you've been married. I said 41's for me earlier. is great. But let me tell you, that little girl that pursued me, okay, that I pursued in Texas uh, uh, 42 years ago, Uh Look at I thought she was amazing. But can I be honest? I was 17 years old. Do you think I have the depth of maturity and understanding to see all of her goodness? Let me tell you, I thought she was cute and a good kisser. <laughs> I'm just being honest, okay? Really not a good reason to marry someone. But I can say this. I saw in her some really great qualities. But can I tell you this? Having lived with her for these years, I see so much goodness in her. I I, I can't explain every day I see this woman and see how good she is. And I'm so thankful and grateful that this woman is my wife. I don't deserve her. She's far more amazing than I could have ever expected the day I married her. And many of you have that similar experience someone that you really get to know and you see the goodness in them. It's that time of knowing that is so valuable to give you that understanding of goodness. John 10, 14 tells us that, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And what is the rest of it? All right. That knowing is key to understanding goodness. Here's the thing. You have to move then just beyond thinking to a relational aspect of this, okay? So the question is, do I think goodness or do I know goodness? I want you to think about that for just a second. I can read Scripture. I can hear messages. I can talk to people who know God, and I can hear their stories. And I can think in my mind, man, that is an amazing God. But until you experience God and know Him, it doesn't have the same depth of understanding. The third part of this is all the days of my life. Now, I think think this days of life that David references here is about his earthly life. I think to me, he is defining that with the first five verses. He lived quite the life, would you agree? If you've studied David any, you know what kind of life he had was pretty wild. In all of his life, you find David experiencing God's provision, God's protection, God's presence, God's favor, God's judgment, the whole thing. I look at David's life and I see a young shepherd boy. He he knew what shepherd meant. And in that, he was a shepherd and experienced some amazing things as a shepherd. He was a young man called to be the king. He won great battles over lions I want to say tigers and bears, but that just wouldn't work. But lions and bears and a big giant. And eventually, he won great battles over other nations. He enjoyed the blessing of wealth and prosperity. David could say, yes, God is good. Would you agree? But then we look fully into his life, and there was that crazy Saul that kept trying to kill him. How many of you have a weird boss that just drives you nuts? Don't raise your hand. They might be here. I don't know. Okay, but here's David's boss, his his king, throwing spears at him, and then the next minute say, "Hey, play that play that tune again. I'd like to hear that." I don't know how you'd do with that, but I wouldn't do very good. And then there was that whole sin thing. You know what I'm saying? And 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 our guys before have shared a little about that, but. But checking out this lady taking a bath on the rooftop and inviting her in and and committing adultery and then trying to work it where the husband could kind of get back into the scene and her pregnancy could be covered by that and that didn't work. And so David has this woman that he takes into himself. I don't know about you, you know, adultery is a pretty big deal. Wouldn't you agree? Murder is a pretty big How many have murdered something? No, don't raise your hand. He lost a child at birth. David was betrayed. He was sought to be murdered by his own son. There are so many other things we could talk about, but we, time won't let us. But if you look at Psalms 23, look at the first five, five verses with those in mind. And at the end of that, here's how David concludes that perspective of his life. He said, God's love is good. In the middle of everything, things that none of us here probably would ever experience, but in the middle of that, David set the example to say, look it, I've had great, great blessings of God, and I've had great failings with God, and great heartache, and great trouble, and great trials. And in the middle of that, David could say, God loves me, and God is good. And I challenge you to equate and compare your life with those things. And leave here not believing that God is good. We tend to judge God's goodness and love on a curve or a moment. But let me tell you what David understood. He judged God's goodness and love on this phrase, all the days. There are many of you here today that could say, all the days, as I get a chance to look back, I've had heartache, I've had difficulty, I've had trials. But you know what I've learned? God loves me and God is good. He pursues me with the goodness. He pursues me with the love all the days of my life. And this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to experience his love, his goodness, his presence like David did. You see, our view of God actually determines a quality of life that we'll have on this earth. Have you ever noticed that sometimes people that have everything seem to be lifeless? Have you ever met someone like that? But then if you've been on any of the missions trip or around places, you meet a lot of people that have what we would consider a great life. They have nothing. They, they, they huddle up at night underneath a piece of tin and cardboard. They scrounge around to hope and get a meal. And, and, and one of the missionary groups come by with, by with bread, and it's a wonderful gift. But you know what I found in so many of those people? They are full of life. We could do a whole sermon on that, but that's not my purpose here today. Here's what the Bible says in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God wants that. He pursues you with goodness and love. So what do we do with that? Simple. The response is this. So simple. David defined it for us. He gave us a template here. David was a worshiper, and here's why. My response And my reward is to dwell with God. Those are a temporal, earthly thing and an eternal thing. And we find that in David's life. All right? Uh, A few Psalms later, David writes this, and it just captures this whole theme. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. We know David was a great worshiper. He was a songwriter. He was a singer. All right? But he loved to worship. And David, as we understand his best memories, he would define as those of dwelling with God's presence. He desired to be in the presence of God in the ark. The mercy seat was one of the objects of worship in David's time. And in one battle, they lost it, and that ark was captured, and it brought a whole lot of bad stuff to those that captured it. And finally they said, let's get rid of this thing. And so they came in and they took the ark and they didn't follow the instructions and a man holds it because it's about to fall and they leave it there. And all of a sudden this guy, and I'm going to try to pronounce his name, Obadidim, Obadidim, Obadidim. Anybody know? Obadidim? Sounds like a 60s song. (laughs) What's that one? Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Singing at all of our campuses. Obla oh, obla oh, No, I'm kidding. This guy's just getting blessed out of his socks. And David's recognizing the blessing of God is upon this guy's life because the ark is there. And so David comes and gets the ark. What does he do? He brings it back into town, and he throws one wild dance party. Okay? What's the show? So you think you can dance, you know? Well, David showed them all up. His wife wasn't happy about it. But David was so filled with joy that the ark was back, that the presence of God was back in his midst, that he danced like a crazy man. That's the joy and the idea of having an understanding that God pursues you with his love and his goodness, and the only great response here on earth is to just celebrate in the presence of God. (coughs) But can I tell you this? We have something that David didn't have. He had a visible presence of God in an ark, but we have something far better. We have the Holy Spirit in us. So today, coming up here and just worshiping and praying about this message, I was able to experience what David had to go to an ark to experience, a presence of God, a joy, a delight, a a, a wonder. And you can have that too. And you can experience that too. And it's an amazing thing that we can have the presence of God dwelling within us, working within us. Scripture says it, that it's also a reward to be with God forever, to be in His presence, His glory. And I, I'm telling you from that message on heaven, I not words can't even express, I think, what heaven's going to be like. So let me wrap up with this. There are times we come to church and we don't comprehend the moment that we have before us. We don't really come in with the mindset, the renewed default of how much God loves us, how good He is to us. Even in the middle of stuff you're going through, He is still good. He is still loving. And so we enter into some great songs that our worship leaders, and and I'm guilty. I'm guilty of just kind of going through the motions, watching the band, listening to the music, chatting to people next to me. And yet today, as we close this service, I'd like to challenge you to experience God in a few moments of just amazing David-like response to having the presence of God. Responding with love and gratitude for what God has. I'm gonna challenge you to do something, okay? Again, coming here, I got this thought and I thought this would be a really neat thing. You can put it on your notes if you want. But I wanna challenge you in the next week, All right, as God brings to your thought his goodness and love in some fashion, write it down. And I want you to write by the end of the week a hundred ways you've experienced God's goodness and love. I'm going to challenge you to do that. I'm going to tell you this right now. You're going to be so amazed. And I'm going to tell you the response of that is going to be next week as you come together in a corporate worship. You're going to be so happy to say, God, thank you for all of your goodness and love to my life. It is so wonderful to worship with him. It is so good to be with all of you here to join together our voices, our melody, our instruments to worship God in response to his love and his goodness. Enter in today. Toward the end of our service and our singing, we always provide opportunities to respond. I I encourage you if there's a prayer that you want to give at our candles or a cross, a, a confession. If you want to take communion Uh, those are all available to you. But today, can I say the best response is us to not just sit back and to just coast, but to just enter into our worship. Actually, consider the words you're singing. Actually, use your voice to sing. (laughs) Okay? Now, you might be like me, and you're thinking nobody wants to hear me sing. Okay? I get it. But it's not about your singing. It's about your response to a God who pursues you with love and goodness. Please get that. Please get that. We're going to close now. I want you all to stand. At all of our campuses, our worship leaders are going to come and they're going to take you into an opportunity to express your love and appreciation and gratitude and praise to God. But I want us to close with a word of prayer Father, you're an amazing God. And I know even today as I consider the presentation of this, how insufficient I feel in my understanding of you to realize how loving, how good and amazing you are. But God, I declare in these next moments in a corporate gathered worship that as we sing to you, I will do my best to express to you an appreciation of the understanding that I do have of your love, that no matter what I've done, no matter how bad it's been, God, you have loved me and cared for me, and you continue to pursue me, and standing here today, you are even chasing after me, and I respond today with praise to your name. Will you all do that? If you will, say amen. 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 Jonathan.